Now this is week two, so if you were here last week, uh, it's quiz time. Do you remember what the four things are? We even practiced them once during the service, so uh, you should know, right? You, you definitely remember, and, and there, there, there's four of them. They all start with G. They roll off the tongue. Oh, no, they're not, they're not up yet. Good job. Keep them down, Joanne. Don't put them up yet. Do you remember what they were? I, okay. Yeah, I think we got pieces. Gather was last week. Then go and give and grow. Okay, gather, go, give, grow. And so last week we looked at gather and how we gather. We said that that everything we do in this place on a weekend, in this 65, 70 minutes or so, is designed to uh, first remind us of the gospel narrative. We want to, through the songs we sing, through the the prayers we give, through the the word we preach, remind ourselves of who God is and what He's done, and even walk through that creation, fall, redemption, new creation story so that it reminds us of it every week. We also said that everything we do on a weekend is designed uh, as a a bit of a template to instruct us as we go into our weeks. We've got about an hour here. We've got 167 other hours. So this this is supposed to be a, a shaping hour. And so we wanted to look kind of piece by piece at how we organize those weekend services to help us when we go out into our weeks. And we said that that our liturgy, our order of service, how we do things here, is the order in which we gather that informs the way we scatter. And so everything that happens here is, is, a, is a hint of how we can apply those things when we go into the rest of our weeks. Now this week you we want to talk about the second G. You want to talk about how we go and to talk about how God is sending every one of us as his people to, to make disciples who make disciples. We'll see as we walk through the text this morning that that we weren't just saved for ourselves. God didn't save us just to to save us as ourselves, but also for His glory and for others as well. So to do this, we're going to dig into Jesus' last words, the Great Commission, maybe a little bit familiar, but we're going to dive into them in any any case. So let me uh, read them for us. And as I do uh, have them, because they're familiar words, maybe sometimes when things are familiar, we just sort of tune out and let them go by. But uh, as we read uh, these few verses, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, uh, look at how they speak at a follower or a disciple's identity as a sent one. Okay? Here we go. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we've looked at this passage before here at Trinity. Again, you've you've probably heard this one or read this one before. Uh, One of the important things we have to remember when we look at these couple verses are these, these are Jesus' last words to his disciples. And last words matter. If, if we know that this is the last time we're spending time with someone or speaking with someone, chances are we're not going to just share trivial things with them. But these are last words. They're important. And so Jesus here is giving his 11 disciples the, the last most important instruction. And they're not just for those 11, but these words are for us as well. Notice uh, as well that Jesus is, says to them, teach those who you go, you go make disciples and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Or everything I've taught you. And this would include this teachable moment that Jesus has with his disciples right now. And the amazing thing is the reason that you and I are gathered in this room today is because the disciples listened. 
And they taught others who taught others who taught others. There's probably a couple more generations in there who taught us. And now we're here. And so that's our job too, is to keep doing the same thing, to teach others and keep passing on the message of Jesus to more and more people so that more and more people will be changed by Jesus' words. This is our commission as well, just as much as it was for those first disciples, to make disciples who make disciples, to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so let's break these verses down a little bit. Verse 18, again, Jesus came and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. One of the things we believe here at Trinity, last week we said one of our core values is that we believe the Bible is true and it's the catalyst for life change. Kind of attached with that is we believe that that Jesus has all authority, that God has all authority, and so he gets to tell us what to do. If you create something, you get to tell people how it works. And so God created the world, he gets to tell us how it works best. So Jesus has all authority. He gets to tell us how we do life, how things work out. All authority over heaven and earth, everyone and everything. So maybe this, is, maybe this is a new idea. Maybe this is something we haven't thought about for a little while. Or maybe we're exploring faith. But, but here at Trinity, we believe that Jesus is King of Kings, leader over all other leaders, and ruler over all other rulers. So he gets to tell us how to live and what life should be like. He carries on. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, it seems, uh, maybe we don't notice it in the English, but actually there's only one verb in there, and it's make disciples. Everything else is, is sort of surrounded by it. That go, often we think, well, the go sounds like a verb. Go here and do this. But in our original language, in the original Greek, and in, in original language and grammar, the word go is something called a participial phrase, which means we should probably better understand that word go here as while you're going do this. As you go throughout your life, make disciples. And Jesus doesn't need to clarify this in this moment to these 11 disciples because they've watched him do it for the last three years. He modeled it for them. Everywhere they went, they were on mission. They were making disciples together. But maybe we need the clarification. Maybe we need that reminder that Jesus is saying, in everything we do, everywhere we go, you and I are to make disciples of Jesus. Maybe we can look at it from the other side, too, and suggest that, you know what, actually, wherever we go, we are making disciples. So the question becomes, what are we making disciples of? Who are we teaching people to follow? If people watch us live our lives, whether it's our, our, our kids, which is terrifying sometimes, uh, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, if they watch how we live, what are we showing them is most important? Who are we leading them towards? And again, this becomes frighteningly real in my life when I consider my kids. Because I say to them, we want to follow Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus. But when you know, dad doesn't get up, get enough sleep and hasn't had coffee yet and he's grumpy, in those moments, what am I communicating to them? What are they learning from my actions and attitudes about what it means to follow Jesus? See, every moment of our lives is an opportunity for us to share with those around us what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. Whether that's getting the mail, or taking out the trash, or now the compost here in Canmore, or going to work, or getting groceries, or going for a run, or whatever, every moment. And so I think it's important that we ask ourselves, do we think about intentionally going through everyday stuff in our life 
striving to show people Jesus? Or are we just trying to get through some of the meaning, uh, some of those tasks? Consider what it would look like if, if we saw every day and every even routine moment in our lives as an opportunity to make disciples. How would that, how would that change our approach to the day? And this affects how we think about the church too, because uh, what, something we need to remember is that the church isn't a building. The church isn't 1717 Bow Valley Trail. It's not a building or a place to sit, but the church is a movement to join. The church, it's an active thing. It's more verb-like than we believe, I think, or than we recognize. And so life is different if we consider that we are the church and we are going as the church. And in the everyday, we have these moments to share Jesus. It'll, it'll shape how we, how we live. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus bought us with a price in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And so we are his and we should glorify him with our bodies. That means in, in everything we do, the little things, the big things, everywhere we go, we are to be, we get to be on mission of showing people Jesus. There's, there's good news here because sometimes we think, oh, oh man, we're supposed to be doing this in every moment. And I was really grumpy just going through the grocery store yesterday or, you know, I was mad at whoever put their trash next to the garbage can and not in the bear bin or whatever else. And it's going to kill all the animals and all of whatever else. But the good news here is if God is at work in us and through us, he bought us with a price, then, then he's still working, whether we realize it or are thinking about it intentionally or not. I was reminded of this. When I was in a junior high, we had a, had a good friend, went to elementary school with him, and he moved away in, I think, grade 7. Uh, we didn't see each other for about 25 years, and finally we, we reconnected on Facebook. And then a couple of years ago, we were both happened to be in Calgary at the same time, had a, a window of time, and we went out for coffee, and we, we caught up together. And, and I don't know where he is in his faith today, but, but when we were eight years old, I think eight or nine years old, he invited me to Boys Brigade at Zion Baptist Church in Edmonton. And I got to share with my friend here that that inviting me to Boys Brigade in grade three, I think it was, has shaped me. I distinctly remember some of the events we did. I especially remember flashlight tag in an old gym and getting hit in the face with a, like a police mag light and chipping a tooth and, and whatever else. But I also remember the evening in the basement of Zion Baptist Church where we as you know, nine, ten-year-olds were memorizing the books of the New Testament. And then if we got to the end, if we made it all the way to Revelation, it was just like dropping the ball in the basket. And we got this great big pile of candy because it was Halloween. Now, there's no way either of us realized what was going on in that moment. But, but moments like that changed my path, my direction in life. I'm not sure that this side of heaven we will ever fully know and fully realize just how far-reaching our actions are for building the kingdom. God's at work through you and in you and changing you. It's good news, too, that Paul writes a little bit later in Philippians 1.6. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a work in you, the one that's working in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And then what that means for us is that he is at work in us, he has been at work in us and through us, and, it, and he will continue to do that. Which again, I think, shifts our perspective on everything we do, because God's at work in me, he's changing me, he's working in me, and so I'm striving to be different, to become more like him. And so those of us who know Jesus, we are disciples who are meant to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life. And we're to make disciples to all nations, not just our little corner, but all nations, all people groups. Jesus goes on. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, we are to establish these disciples that we are making in their new identities. Now, throughout the Bible, whenever we see someone get a new name, they're not just changing their name because they like the new one better or whatever else. There's something about names in the Bible. We need to pay attention to them. Whenever someone gets a new name, it means they're getting a new identity. And it leads to a new purpose for them. For instance, in Genesis, we see Abram. Got his name changed to Abraham. Do you remember what uh, Abraham means? Father of many nations. Remember how many kids Abraham had when he got his name changed to father of many nations? Zero. Remember what the chance was of him ever having kids with his wife when he got his name changed to father of many nations? Also zero. But God knows what he will do. God knows what's going on in the heavenly realms. And God speaks these things into, uh, into reality over people. Now, if you currently don't have kids and someone walked up to you and called you mom or dad, you would correct them. Uh, this happened to me on both Mother's Day and Father's Day this year at the church because we, you know, we try to have a little gift for the ladies on Mother's Day and something for the, the guys on Father's Day because it's hard to, you know. So I go up to some of the, the ladies and say, Happy Mother's Day. Here. I'm not a mother. And a couple of the guys on here, happy Father's Day. And I, I, don't, I don't think I'm a father. Do we need to talk and say to everyone? <laughs> but this is what God's doing here. He's saying to Abram, you will be the father of many nations. God knows what he's going to do and miraculously gives him a son and changes the direction of history. Abraham steps into that identity and begins to act accordingly. Now something similar happens to us when we're baptized. God is, is giving us a new name, a new identity. And he's saying over us, listen, I want you to know who you are. And I'm giving you a new name, a new identity in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so in baptism, when we, when we go under the water, it represents us being buried spiritually with Christ. And that our, that our old life is gone. And when we come up out of the water, we have this new life. That's, that we come out of the water and our sins left behind in the grave. We're raised with Christ and his resurrection. And now we have a new life and a new understanding of how God sees us. Uh, one writer, Jeff Vanistel, reminds us this way. He says, when we're baptized in the name of the Father, we're, we're baptized in His name so that we know who God is, what He's done, and who we are in light of that, and how we should live that out. We're reminded that uh, when we're baptized in the name of the Father, that we are brought into the family. And God is Father, and He sent His Son, and, and we were once enemies of God, far from God, yet He, he made us children. He's brought us into the family. He's made us sons and daughters of God through the life of Jesus. And, and Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we were meant to live and were to model ourselves after. And he showed us uh, how to rightly relate to one another and to God and to creation. And he came to serve, not to be served. So we're baptized into this identity as well as as servant. We're, we're family, but we're also servants of God. Paul says as well, there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from the love of Christ. That we, by faith in Jesus, we are dearly loved children. And there's nothing we can do that will ever take that away. Baptized in the name of the Father and the Son. And finally, we're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know that I will ever fully be able to wrap my head around this. But the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to do all His ministry. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that empowered the early church to go out and speak the gospel with authority. That's the same spirit we've been baptized into. That means we're not just family. We're not just sons and daughters of God. We're not just servants as we live in love like Jesus did for us. But we're also missionaries. 
sent one, sent with the same power that Jesus was sent with, with the same presence of God to go everywhere we go. And that's why as disciples, we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we see that Jesus told his disciples to go and wait and pray until they received the Holy Spirit. And he tells them in Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul also says, if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ in you. And if the Spirit of Christ is in you, then you are also commissioned as missionaries of God to display what God's like wherever we go. So a good question, how do we do this? What does this look like? What does it look like to make disciples? Well, we really need to just lean in and live out our identity as disciples. Family, servant, missionary. We go and we proclaim who God is and what he's done to the world. We love people so that they see what the Father is like and how he loves us. We serve people so that people know what Jesus is like and what he as king is like, as the servant king, and what his kingdom will be like. And then also in the spirit, we are prepared to give an answer, like 1 Peter 3.15 says, so that when someone asks us, hey, why do you love people like you do? Why do you serve people like you do? We can not just say, well, I'm a good person, I'm trying to do good stuff, but rather we proclaim Jesus. That we point people to the Father in heaven who loves us and Jesus who laid down his life for us and the Holy Spirit at work in our lives making us more and more like him. So we make disciples by loving, serving, and proclaiming. And maybe that seems like a bit too simple of an answer, but maybe we can even make it a bit simpler. We make disciples by leading people to Jesus so that they can become like Jesus. We can uh, easily, as we think about you know, church and systems and, and working through the process here, we can start to clutter up this discipleship path. Well, okay, if I'm making a disciple, he needs to uh, know the books of the Bible. He needs to read his Bible. He needs to pray this many times a day. He needs to do this, 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 and this. But if we're focusing them on those things and not get to Jesus, then we're actually making a disciple of something other than Jesus. Maybe a disciple of the Bible, which is not a bad thing. We should know our Bibles. We've got to get people to Jesus. Everything we do should be pointing people to Jesus. The way we talk, the way we serve, the way we treat one another. And the reason we do that is because Jesus was the perfect human. He was the true and complete image of God, like we read when we started our service in Colossians chapter 1. Now, every one of us is made in the image of God. We've all got that in us somewhere, but we all also have this sin thing that has, has infected us and tarnished us right to the core. And say... So we point people to Jesus who lived out what it means to perfectly show the truth about what God's like in every way. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you have seen God the Father. And so we look to Jesus. We point people to Jesus. In John 20, verse 21, he said, peace be with you as well. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now this is after he rose again. He was with the disciples. He had, he had lived his life. He would died and, and risen again. He was with them. He's saying, listen, just like I was sent by God, now it's your turn to go. And that's our identity as well. And so if we're sent, like the Father sent the Son, we need to sort of say, okay, what did that look like? It's an important question. So flip back to John chapter 1, where we read in John 1, 14, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Uh, In the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse in this way, and I quite like it. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He goes on and says, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous, inside and out, true from start to finish. Jesus moved into the neighborhood so that we could see what God is like. We could meet God. Again, if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. Later in John 17, Jesus prays and he thanks God that God gave him his glory, that God's glory was in him and he could show people God's glory. He's saying that, that the very essence of who God is you could see in Jesus, that, that he would reflect God's glory to those who saw him. And then a little bit later in that same prayer, he prays for his followers, which include us today, that we too would also have that glory, which is, again, really interesting and hard to wrap our heads around. Jesus is praying that God would fill you and me up with his Holy Spirit so that when the world looks at us, they would see God. Again, we are not perfect like Jesus, but there's this thing in us that reflects who God is and all he's done for us. That when people look at us, they would see God's holiness, his, his otherness, and it would, it would shine through in how we uh, walk through life and how we treat other people, how we care for our things and for other things, how we, how we work, how we play, and on and on it goes. So we've got, as a part of this identity too, uh, a glory bringer. We're to, to, to bring God's glory into the everyday stuff of our life. And so what would it look like if we saw that as our identity, as ones who are bringing the glory of God into our workplaces, into our coffee shops, into the trails, into the everything? Our job is to go and, and bless people like God blesses people, to love people like God loves people, to serve people as Jesus has served us. Everywhere, every place we go, we go as glory bringers as ambassadors, as missionaries sent by God to show this place, that place, whatever place, how much Jesus loves people. The catch there is, in order to show people who God is and what he's done, we actually have to be with people. That's where it gets a little tricky. We have to open up our lives and be with people. We have to spend time with people, enough time with people to, to know their stories, to know where they have needs. And that way we can listen. And as we talked about a couple months ago in our Gospel Fluency series, we need to, to, to know the stories so that we can know how Jesus would make sense to them, where, where the work of Jesus would be meaningful to them in their life. Jesus, of course, was a great example of this. He was with people all the time. Consider how much he was present with the Samaritan woman in the story of the woman at the well. Nobody else wanted to be with her. She came to grab water in the middle of the day all alone, right? The other women in the town didn't want to be with her. Normally you'd go in the morning, the cool of the morning, but she came in the heat of the day to to grab her water. She'd been with lots of men, but she was alone. But Jesus spends time with her. He listens to her. He gives her dignity He sees her brokenness and he gives her good news. You've come for this water, but let me tell you about this living water. It will make you whole. And it changes her life. So we too need to be with people so that we can know them and and know their stories and we can lead them to Jesus. We also have to be together. We have to be with people. We have to be together as well. Think about how Jesus started his public ministry. 
He didn't go around and hire the best PR firm in Israel to, to put together a, a theatrical trailer of what was about to come. He didn't send people out distributing flyers and posters and, and list a number of speaking dates where if you come here, you'll find me here and I've got this great wisdom to just you know, be up on a platform and speak down to you. No, he goes for a walk. He goes by the, the sea and says, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He never went in ministry out by himself. He, he went with people. He did it in community. So we should ask, if we notice that, why? Why do we think Jesus did that? Well, if Jesus was sent by God to show people who God is and how he loves us, what he's like, God has forever existed in community as Father, Son, and Spirit. Perfect harmony, perfect community. And so we can't actually see completely what God is like apart from community. Because God has never been alone and never will be. And so that's why we, we kind of keep talking about how we need to, we need to get together in, in groups. It's why we run Bible studies. It's why we say, hey, listen, there's reading plans at the back. Grab one of those. Grab a couple people and go through it and, and, and actually be with one another. Be together as we move ourselves towards knowing who God is and what he's done. Jesus, as well, says to his disciples in John chapter 13, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Well, you can't do that. You can't love one another apart from community. So if we want to show people what Jesus is like, we actually have to be with one another. Both with fellow believers and with others who don't yet know Jesus. To be with one another means to love one another, even when it's hard, even through conflicts and disagreements. Because we, we need other people in our lives, even when it's messy, because it helps us see our need for Jesus. Uh, sometimes we hear people say, no, I was, in this, I was in this great small group a number of years ago, and it was just so great. I don't want don't to get into another group because I've got this ideal set back here, and it might just ruin the way I think of community. And I've got this, you know, I, I flipped through the Bible. I read Acts 2. There's about four verses at the end of Acts 2 that say, you know, they, they shared everything. They had everything in common. Everybody was happy. Everything was great. And if that's what we want, we, that, that's the ideal we're setting up. But maybe they didn't read a couple chapters later where people brought a gift and lied to the Holy Spirit and were killed by God. Like, that's not great community there. But we have this maybe ideal of this great group that we had at one time, and we don't want to taint that. And so we, we avoid it. We back away from them. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. See, we need each other. We need to help one another to become more like Jesus. And not just to be together, but to also carry one another's burdens. We've had the opportunity to practice that here at Trinity for the last uh, several months to carry one another's burdens. He goes on to say, The Christian, however, must bear the burden of a brother or sister. He must suffer and endure the brother or sister. It's only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. We can't see each other as projects. You know, if I meet with so-and-so for a coffee for four weeks in a row, I can probably get him to read his Bible a couple times. Done. Right? We're not projects. We're brothers and sisters, people made in the image of God who are to be loved like Jesus loved us. And he goes on. Bonhoeffer does. says, The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. 
God verily bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ, but he bore them as a mother carries her child, as a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb that has been found. God took men upon himself, and they weighted him to the ground. But God remained with them, and they with God. And in bearing with men, God maintained fellowship with them. It was the law of Christ that that was fulfilled at the cross, and Christians must share in that law. It's also encouraging to me that Jesus didn't pick the ones who had it all together for those first disciples, did he? He didn't go to the best schools and say, okay, you've got the the best grades, you come with me. He didn't look for uh, whoever could communicate the best and say, okay, you come with me. But boy, did he pick the messy ones, which is super encouraging to me. Even right at the end, right, right before the verse before the Great Commission that we started with, Jesus uh, had his disciples with him. These guys had, had watched him do ministry for three years. They'd, they'd seen him crucified, uh, seen him come back to life, be resurrected. And in verse 17, the disciples were where Jesus had sent them. And we see that when they saw Jesus, again, they worshipped. But some doubted. That's good news for you and me, I think. Because if these guys saw Jesus rise from the dead and still had doubts about who he was, then it's okay if we have doubts at times too. Actually, I think it's even better if we have doubts or questions at times because it it actually means we're trying to work out our faith for ourselves. We're not just thinking, well, my daddy said this and his daddy said this and his daddy, so I guess we're going to go to church on Sunday. But no, we, we, we can push back and forth on these questions and say, okay, why, I, the Bible says this about God, but it, it doesn't make sense here. How do, we, how do we reconcile these things? And it's good. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. And community, this Christian community, is a great place to work through those questions. I would suggest trying to work through your questions in isolation, heading to the internet, is not the way to do it. We have to be together so that we can work these things out. This community is a great place where we can see that God is at work in us. We can remind each other of who God is and what he's done. And so then we can trust that he will continue to do those things going forward. We can see how God is changing us. And then we can go out and change the world with the gospel too. And being with people also reminds us that, that, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, love is patient, love is kind, slow to anger. Being with people can remind us where we need work sometimes, where we are impatient and unkind and unloving and quick to get angry. And it points us back to our need for Jesus again. As we head towards a close, remember what Jesus said before the Great Commission? All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go do this. This was never a task he was giving us to go and do on our own, in our own strength, in our own power. But we're to go in his strength and his power. That short line that almost maybe we sort of throw away to get to the good stuff of go make disciples reminds us that, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not me. Not you. Jesus is, is sending us out not to save the world ourselves, but so that he can save the world through us. And that is good news. The weight's not on us. God is working in us and through us. It's remarkable. There's so many times where I've, where I've finished a, a sermon or a talk or you know, uh, when I was with youth in, in Calgary, we finished something and I just I feel like it didn't go well. Sometimes I can see that all of your eyes have glazed over about 20 minutes ago and it's like, oh boy, this, this isn't working. And it's often in those Sundays or those Saturdays where I feel like it just didn't, I, something wasn't quite right where someone will come after and say, you know what, God really spoke to me today when you said this. A couple of months ago it happened and, and, and I preached a message. We were in the Psalms, I think, and, and a gentleman came up to me and said, you know what? I'm visiting from out of town. I'm here. God's got my heart with this, and he's, he's giving me a new view of this part of my life from when you said this. 
I was like, I'm really happy for you, but I don't think I actually said that. Like, like it's good. Like, it's true. What, what God is telling you is true and good, but, but I, like, he did that, not me. Uh, if we read our Old Testament, we see that God can speak through the mouth of a donkey, which, that's good for me, too. God's got a sense of humor, and we can lean on that. See, the weight, friends, it's not on us. But it's on Jesus. And he said, it's my authority. Go. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So even if it looks like we're failing, God can and will still accomplish his mission. And then we get this beautiful conclusion from Jesus. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Matthew's gospel ends how it starts. Remember, in Matthew 1, we start to see, okay, the, the Savior's coming. This will be his name, Emmanuel, which is God with us. And Jesus speaks that over his disciples at the end. I am with you. Don't forget it. We will never be alone. So how do we go? Well, we are to be present. We're to be together. We're to bear one another's burdens and be empowered by the presence of Jesus. And if, when we feel tired and worn out from this, then we get to lean on Jesus. Again, remember the, the timing of these verses too. Jesus gives us this commission after the resurrection, not before it. And that's important for us to remember because as all four gospel writers tell us, Jesus has done the work. Jesus lived the life we can't. He accomplished the mission in our place and he has done everything we can't do. And then he sends us to go model after him. He spent three years in public ministry and 30 years before that living a normal life. But living it perfectly for you and me. He lived a whole lot of normal life just for us. And the Bible tells us that, that he is our righteousness, that he lived the life that we were meant to but can't, that he, he went to the cross for all the ways that you and I have fallen short and will fall short. And from the cross he cried out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The writer of Hebrews says he died for sin once for all. Which means that every single way we have failed, maybe failed, are failing right now, or will fail, Jesus has already taken care of that. And we're forgiven. So we can get back up and be glory bearers again to the glory of God. To love people as God does, to serve people as Jesus did, and to proclaim the gospel. And then we see Jesus went to the grave for us and he rose again from the grave conquering our three greatest enemies in Satan, sin, and death. And that's good news. And it's good news that God just didn't do that to save us. But he then uses us to bring others into the family. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning, this opportunity that we have together. Thank you for this, this mission, that we have something to do. We've been given a task. We've been given a job. We've been given uh, a, a role to play in the kingdom. God, I pray that you would help us to, to step into our identities as as, uh, as family, as servants, as, as missionaries. That even if we're, oh, when, if and when we're, we're wrestling with these things, that you would give us your confidence. Remind us, Jesus, that all authority has been given to you. That you've paid for sin once for all. And that you will always be with us. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your good name. Amen.